Well, it is good to be here with you. Um, it's I, I've been wondering what this church at Mount Hermon was going to be like. Jimmy told me that you're nice people, but I didn't know. And uh, so I am I am excited about being here. Uh, you already know my name. My my wife Eileen is with me. Um, and, and we're glad to be here. We come from the Allegheny Valley Mennonite Church, and uh, we have five children, two, three, four boys, and one girl. Two are married, and I have two grandchildren, so that tells you a little bit about who we are. Uh, so we're just enjoying life. If you ever come through uh, on the turnpike, Pennsylvania Turnpike, through the Bedford area, you're welcome to stop in. We've got a little apartment on the end of our house that you're welcome to stay there instead of staying at a hotel or whatever. Uh, you're, you're very welcome to come and see us. All right, so the, the, topics, the topic I've been assigned for this evening is let us draw near. And we just sang in that song, the first song we sang, sometimes we can't remember back that far, but the first song that we sang it says something about God wanting us, wanting to draw us out of the world, draw us out of that evil world to Him. And that's what we want to think about tonight. We want to think about the privilege we had of just being able to draw near. That's a privilege that many people have not been able to enjoy. And we're going to look at some of that. Let us draw near. Psalm 73, 28 says, It is good for me and for you to draw near to God. That's what it says. It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. Do you agree with me that it is good to draw near to God? I'm sure you do. Let's, uh, let's turn to our, our text verses, Hebrews 10. I'm going to read some of these verses. I'm not sure if I'll read them every time, uh, every, every uh, tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow evening. I'm not sure yet. But tonight we're going to read some of these verses. And you think about them as we go through reading them. Some of them we'll come back and look at, not all of them. Maybe another time we will. But just think about this. In verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law, my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of sin, now where remissions of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now there's some very... Uh, applicable truths in there, relevant to today. Now, if you noticed, he was talking here about something he calls a new and living way. 
You saw that? You hear that? Something's different than it used to be. He's saying there's a new and living way. And that's kind of, like I said, that's kind of what we want to think about tonight. How close are you to God? How do you measure that? How do you decide if you're close to God or far from God? Well, sometimes we know if we're far from God. How do you measure that? That's difficult. And that's why we need to talk about these things sometimes. Because sometimes we aren't as near as we think. And it is possible tonight that we may need to become a part of a spiritual migration toward God. I don't know where you are. But most of us would agree, I believe, at least I would, that I always need to get closer to God. You know, the things that are around me, the things that press in on me from every side, push me in one direction. Unless I choose to allow them to drive me to God. There's, there's a lot of, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. Maybe. We may have to become part of that spiritual migration to God. Toward God. He desires relationships. You know, God wants us to draw near. He desires relationships. How do we know that? Right in the beginning of time, right back there in the garden, he created men, a man and a woman. I think so that he could have a relationship with them. You know, it's pretty evident that he had that in the garden. As he would come in the evening, in the cool of the day, the Bible tells us, and he would walk through that garden. I wonder how that looked. Beautiful garden. And here comes God himself walking through the garden and he calls out to Adam and Eve. And they got this precious conversation. I wonder what they talked about. I wish I could have been there. See how that was. I think they all enjoyed it. They just had a good time. I don't know what they talked about, but I think they had a good time. You know, most of us love... <clears throat> to have friends over. We like to sit around and talk, and of course we like to eat ice cream, and maybe we even play some games, and whatever we do, we like to have a good time. It draws us together, doesn't it? I think that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. Now, we're not going to eat ice cream together, but it's that same kind of, just a normal, everyday relationship that He wants us to have. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart, don't just pretend you're drawing near. See, see, God knows that. I don't know that. You can pretend you're drawing near to God, and I can't tell. Well, maybe I will eventually, but I really don't know. I really don't know what's in your heart. God wants us to draw near with a true heart in confidence. And too often we're like Peter. You know, when, when uh, the, the soldiers came for Jesus, and it took him away, and Peter followed, what did it say? Far off. He was way back there somewhere. He didn't want to get too close. He didn't want to be identified with God at this point. Later, of course, he came through and he you know, did identify with God at, at great cost to himself. But here, he wasn't. He was afar off. It's a question we need to answer tonight. Are we drawing near to God or are we still afar off? And this is not an evangelistic sermon that I'm planning to preach. Of course, if the Spirit speaks to you that way, you don't mind the spirit. The call comes to this, us this evening. Let us draw near. And as I said before, if we go back into history, we know that it was not this way. We live in a privileged era. 
The last 2,000 years have been different than the previous four. And I would like to go through some of the things tonight that were different back then and somehow maybe help us to get a more of appreciation for the privilege that we have of drawing near to God. I'll probably say that again. It's a privilege. Don't forget that. So first of all, I'd like to uh, start with meeting God in the Old Testament. We'd like to look how it was back there. And then after that, we'd like to look how it was in the New Testament, in the Bible, and some of those differences. Do you ever wonder what it was like to live under the Old Covenant? I mean, we're glad we don't. And I don't know how much time you've ever spent looking back and just trying to discover what that would have been like. We're going to look at that a bit this evening. Tonight, our text verse says we're supposed to draw near. You know, they didn't have that. There's times when God said exactly the opposite in the Old Testament. He said, do not draw near. Do not come close. But now in the New Testament, he's saying, draw near. That's beautiful. So a couple of uh, examples here. So God was giving Moses some instructions on how, you know, what, what to do with the tabernacle as they, as they had to uh, start their pilgrimage to another place. They moved everything. They had to pack up everything. The, the tabernacle was all packed up and carried away. It's the only way they could move it. He says in Numbers 151, And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. So there's a designated group of people here that are assigned to do this. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. So anyone who was not a Levite that dared get too close to that process of taking down and setting up that tabernacle was in trouble. They were put to death. Isn't that unreasonable? Well, that's what God said has to happen. Even the Levites had to be very careful. In Numbers 4.15, it says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the, the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to hear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, and you guessed it, lest they die. Lest they die. That doesn't sound like what we know today, does it? Well, think about God and, and uh, Israel at Mount Sinai. And I'd like to turn back there. You can turn with me to Exodus 19. There's some verses that we would like to read. And just, <clears throat> just let your mind run as we read these verses. These are familiar verses that you have uh, read many times probably. <clears throat> I'm going to start at verse 9. So think about what we're talking about. There was a time when God was not inviting the people of Israel to draw near to him. Chapter 19, verse 9 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day, for the third day 
The Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that they were, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. And Moses... Sorry, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai upon the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the mount, up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. These are the these are the priests even. God is saying, they better be sanctified. I'm going to break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, the people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. Now, if we drop down the next chapter to verse 18, it says, And the Lord saw the thunder, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpets and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And I'm going to stop reading there. But as we read those verses, it's clear in our minds that there was something that God was unapproachable. They could not come clear to God. Even the priests could not come close to God. There was a barrier. There was a barrier set around that mountain. Even the animals could not break through that or they would be killed. They said to Moses, you speak to us. We'll hear you, but we can't, we can't, we can't hear God. We can't identify with that, can we? It says the people stood afar off. Chapter 19, all the people that was in the camp trembled because of what they were seeing and hearing. Because of that awesome, mighty, terrible God that was up there in the mountain. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. Another man that got a glimpse of God, got a glimpse into the throne room of God, Isaiah. And he says in the year, verse 1 of Isaiah 6, 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Glorious sight. Just imagine again with, with me as we read through these verses. Glorious sight that he was seeing. Here was, a, here was the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at his voice, moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. This is what Isaiah saw. <clears throat> he responds kind of like the people did back there at Mount Sinai. And he says in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with a tongue from off the altar and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. And we're going to stop reading there. I just wanted us to get another picture of someone. Again, here's a prophet, a man of God. Who sees into the throne room of God and says, Woe is me. I am undone. I am wicked. I am lowly. I can't look on God. There's another man. This one you don't have to turn to. There's a man named Uzzah. You know what happened to the man named Uzzah, right? 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 to 9 says, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put, this is, this is when they, they're, they have gone back to get, they have gone to the land of the Philistines, I believe, or maybe they were just transporting it from one place in Israel to another. I'm not sure. I should have looked on that. The ark is on a cart. They're driving it to another city. And something happens while they are on the way. It says they came to Nacon's threshing floor. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. So something was happening. Maybe he thought that ark of the covenant was going to fall off that cart. I don't know. I mean, surely they knew how sacred that ark was. And I don't think this was done lightly. But it says the oxen were shaking the cart or shaking says the oxen shook it. I think it was about to fall off, maybe. The Bible doesn't say that. Uzzah, as he's there beside it, quickly puts out his hand to steady the ark so that it doesn't fall off the cart. The next verse says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there, right then and there, right on the spot, it sounds like. God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Right there, immediately. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. David was afraid. You know what the Bible says of David, right? David was a man after God's own heart. David was close to God. And David was afraid after what had happened there with the ark. You see, there was no mercy. There was swift, instant judgment. You would think how we would fare today if God would still operate like that. Do you think we'd be here having this meeting tonight? I don't know. Probably some of us would be missing. I probably wouldn't be here. One more I'd like to look at. 
Again, we're talking about drawing near and how it was not that way one time. Moses at the burning bush, very familiar story. We're not even going to read the text, but you know the story. Moses is walking through the desert and he sees his bush on fire. And of course that catches his attention because the bush isn't burning up. And he walks over there to see what's going on and there's a voice that speaks to him out of the bush. And what did God tell him? He said, don't come near. Do not come near. In fact, he said, you're on holy ground. You need to take off your shoes. And there's probably some significance in that that we won't get into tonight. And Moses was afraid and hid his face, it says. What I'd like us to remember is that God said, do not come near. The exact opposite of what we have in our text verses tonight. Can you imagine doing church like that? Let's leave the saints in the Old Testament and let's go to the new. It's just totally different. It's, it's, it's exactly opposite. In, instead of having that harsh, instant judgment and that, that distance between God and man and that, those boundaries and those, that fear. Yes, we have fear of God today. Of course we do. But it's not that terrified fear of God and what he's going to do to us. We don't have that. Well, if we're not living right, we should have that. But as Christians, we shouldn't have that. Instead of that, we see compassion, love, and healing. Mark 1, verses 40 and 41 says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And what did Jesus do? Remember, the Jews were forbad to get even close to these people, let alone reach out and touch them. It says in verse 41 of Mark 1, And Jesus moved with compassion. See, we didn't hear much about compassion on Mount Sinai there, did we? There wasn't much compassion being shown. But Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. You see, that's different. There's something new happening. There's something new going on. Zacchaeus. You know who Zacchaeus was? You know what kind of a man he was, right? He was hated by the he was hated by his contemporaries. Why? Because he was a wicked man. He was he was he worked for the Romans. He collected the tax, the tribute that was due and of course in addition to taking what the Romans wanted, he took a little extra for himself. They hated him. Now if God would have met Zacchaeus in the Old Testament, what would have happened? Do you think? Well, we don't know because that story is not in the Old Testament, but I think we, we have a good idea. But Jesus comes along. He's walking under that tree as he comes into the city. And there is Zacchaeus, that wicked man that everybody hates in the city. Again, we see that compassion. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm, I'm going to come to your house today. I'm going to come visit you. He'll be your guest. I wonder what Zacchaeus was thinking about then. He knew what was, he knew how, how the Jews looked at him. He was a thief. He was a scum of Jewish society. The guy, the hated guy that worked for the Romans. But Jesus, in his compassion, reached out to him. Love and compassion. And we see that many times. The rare time when Jesus breaks from that is when he speaks to the hypocrites, the Pharisees. Then we don't see much compassion. Why is that? Because they were pretending to be something they weren't. They were pretending to be holy men. They were pretending to lead the church. And they were failing miserably and would not admit it. 
There we see Jesus breaking from this compassion. Saul on the road to Damascus. Again, a very familiar story. As Saul was a wicked man. He was killing God's people, God's very own. He was killing them. He was was going from city to city and capturing them and putting them in prison and just treating them terribly. And then he comes into Damascus. Nearing Damascus there and he sees that great light. Here's that voice from heaven. God strikes him to the ground. And then what? Okay, so that's maybe not real compassionate. He's pretty violent. He strikes him to the ground. But then what does he say? Instead of killing him like he would have in the Old Testament, he says, Saul, why are you doing this? He didn't say this, but he's like, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm giving you a second chance, Saul. And here's what I want you to do. Gave him some instructions. You see, I think he was worse than Uzzah, wasn't he? I mean, here's Saul killing God's own people, and Uzzah is simply trying to help. The one guy gets left go, and the other guy is struck dead on the spot. Back in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, there God demanded the barrier be placed there. Everyone's going to be killed who breaks through. But in our text this evening, we have those precious words. Let us draw near. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, come. Now, this is Jesus saying these words, but God and Jesus, we're using them interchangeably tonight. Jesus is saying, come, come unto me. I don't care who you are. I don't care how wicked you've been. I don't care what you've done. Come to me instead of striking you dead on the spot. What is the difference? What is the difference? Why did God do that back then, but not now? You see, at Sinai, God was present in all of his holiness. And he was requiring there perfect obedience to his law. And they just couldn't come up with that perfect obedience. These were imperfect people. These were people that didn't know what the Holy Spirit was yet. Man could not attain to what God required. There was no hope of being reconciled to God by the law ever. This was no hope. Temporary provision. That is why man could not come near. There was no provision there. There was no provision to cover their sins, to forgive their sins. There was a provision to cover them for a while. And I think it was God's way of making clear in their minds that they would never, ever measure up. And that he would, was conveying to them the exceeding sinfulness of their sinfulness. And sometimes I think we don't understand that ourselves. I was going to say in the start, uh, I, I felt like this morning we finished our, our, our talk with 
with not going far enough and not giving some positive things about how to overcome what we were talking about. Well, I would like to say that the rest of our tonight, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow evening is the answer to what we were talking about this morning. Drawing near, staying near, calling on God, clinging to God, those are the answers. Man could not come near, even though many, many, many animals were killed and their throats were slit and their blood was drained out of their body and placed on the altar to cover the people's sins for another year. It wasn't enough. That's what worship meant to them, though. You remember Solomon when he, when he uh, built that fantastic temple? And he, you know, felt really close to God and he was, he just wanted to worship God. And, and you know what he did? He, he had this huge event, a week long, seven days, I believe it was. And, and he got all these, these animals together. It says the ones that he provided was, I believe, 144,000 between the sheep and the oxen. Plus there's, historians would believe that the people also brought a sacrifice, so they believe they could have easily made 250,000 animals. And all of those were killed, every single one of them, in a single week. Can you imagine the bloody mess? How many tractor trailers of animals would that be? I don't know. But that wasn't enough. And I'd like to think now about the futility of the sacrificial system. Even though Leviticus 17.11 says the life is in the blood and it maketh an atonement for the soul. Now that made a temporary atonement back in the Old Testament. That was required. He also says there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood, which was true back then, but was also a representation of a universal truth that is still true today. It just looks different and we'll get to that. You already know where we're going with that. I'm not telling you anything new tonight. But it's good to be reminded of these things sometimes and, and, and try to get a better or a, or a new appreciation for really what privilege we have. And I would like to walk through some of their sacrifices. I, I found this very interesting, and I hope you aren't bored too badly. Try and stay with me and try and understand what they actually had to do. And this is not all of them. This is just some of that. I'm going to call it the bother they had to go to to have their Christian religion. Well, Jewish religion. <clears throat> and all this, bear in mind, all this was for another year. It couldn't, there was no lasting value in it. It could never make anyone perfect. Even though enormous, enormous amounts of animals and blood was shed, it could not cover the sins of the people for more than a year. So this is what they did. They had daily sacrifices. And I'll give you some references. We're not going to read these because we don't have time. But in Exodus 29, verses 38 and 39, it talks about the need for a lamb to be offered morning and evening continually, every single day. Not for one week. This was every single day, every day, every year. That was a daily sacrifice. Then they had, on top of that, a Sabbath offering. You can read this in Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, 
were offered. Every Sabbath, besides the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. So there's other offerings besides the blood sacrifices that we aren't even going to talk about. The monthly sacrifice, you can see this in Numbers 28, 11, and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot. Now you would think that after you've done all those we've already talked about, that'd be plenty. But it wasn't. That wasn't enough. They had a harvest sacrifice. You can read about this in Numbers 28, 26 to 31. Each year at harvest time, two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs and one kid had to be sacrificed. Five days after the harvest sacrifice, Leviticus 23, 15 to 21, you needed to offer nine lambs, one bullock, two rams, and one goat. Then they had sacrifices during the seventh month. Read this in Numbers 29, 1 to 6. In the first day, there was a bullock, a ram, seven lambs, one kid for a sin offering. That's the first day. On the second day, 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 unspotted first-year lambs for the meat offerings, and one kid as a sin offering. The third day, 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, and one goat. And it goes on like that. The numbers change a little bit, but it's blood every day on until the 10th day. And then on to the 15th day, they had different requirements. They also had a Passover sacrifice, numbers 28, 19 to 22. On each of the seven days of Passover, they had to kill and burn Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs. That's really all we're going to... I mean, that's, that's pretty much all the ones I'm going to list, but there is many more. Well, what, maybe one more. The Yom, Yom Kippur sacrifice, uh, the, the priests had to bring part of this, which was one bullock and a ram. And then from the congregation, there was two young goats, and the one of these was a scapegoat. And you know how that scapegoat was used, how the, the priest had to put his hands on that um, scapegoat's head and had co- to confess all the sins of the people. Can you imagine how long that might have taken? Confess all the sins of the people, and then someone let that goat out into the wilderness and left it there, and the other one was killed for the blood sacrifice. Now let me read this to you. After releasing the scapegoat, this, this is more of the burden that they went through for their religion. After the releasing of the scapegoat, the priest takes off his sacred garments takes a bath in a holy place, puts on what today we might call his street clothes, and offers the burnt offerings both for him and the people. Then the priest burns the fat of the sin offerings on the altar, and the person that released the scapegoat must wash his clothes, take a bath, and come into the camp. Then the skins, flesh, and dung of the bullock and the goat are burned, and the person who burns them must wash his clothes and take a bath and come into the camp. Would you come here tonight if you had to do all that? I bet you wouldn't have. We are, it, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that the Old Testament saints had to go to such a bother to try and get close to God. And we seem to have it so easy. And sometimes I think we don't even really care that much. I'm not talking about you all's church. Well, there's other offerings. But in all of this, If we'd have backed up to verse 4 of our text, it says this. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It is not possible. All that was of no avail. But now, today, 
You see, we aren't offering those blood sacrifices anymore because we've had one sacrifice that has been made. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb once. Hebrews 7, 22 to 28 says, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament, and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, for such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, and undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. I am glad I can be part of that new covenant. I love those verses. It's a game changer. You see, we don't have to go back there and suffer through all that stuff that those people had to suffer through. He did it once, never again. And now we can boldly enter. The Israelites under the old covenant could not have comprehended anything like that. Coming boldly unto God. Even the high priest. I wonder if he didn't go in there wondering if he'd gotten it all right. Wondering if he was going to come out again. But we don't have to worry. We come boldly to the throne. Come boldly to Jesus. There is a new and living way, not the old sacrificial system, that broken system. We now have the perfect sacrifice that changed everything and opens the door to God through our perfect high priest. You know, there was a barrier, a significant barrier that the Jews could not cross. And that hung in the temple. There was a huge, heavy curtain that hung in the temple. That separated man from the judgment of God. And they couldn't go through that. The high priest could take the, the blood beyond that curtain, but I as a Jew could not go beyond that, or I would die. Separated God from humanity. That curtain was 60 feet wide, 30 feet tall, and 4 inches thick. And it says, the Bible says that it took 300 men to lift it. That's a heavy curtain. But what happened? you remember what happened? Sure we do. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain? From top to bottom, it was torn in half. This is a curtain where the fabrics, the fibers are interwoven, so that could never happen. Naturally or accidentally. That could never happen. What do you think the Jews thought when that happened? From top to bottom, I think that's significant. God coming down to man, tearing away that curtain. I hope that blesses your heart tonight. Christ has become the daysman between sinful humanity and an awesome holy God. That's the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's the difference. That is why we can draw near. That is why Jesus gives us the invitation today. Paul in these verses gives us the invitation to draw near to God and we can do it. We're allowed to do it. So let us draw near. Let us draw near boldly. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come or come near 
approach boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> so I'd like to spend a few minutes yet just thinking about how that looks and how do we do that. So we can talk about drawing near, but what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, there's a couple things, six of them, I would like to mention very briefly. How do we draw near? Well, first of all, it says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, there's still a barrier. Even today, there's still a barrier. It says the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That was true in the Old Testament. I believe that's true in the New Testament. Sin will still separate us today from God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Interesting passage. You should take time to read that. Isaiah 59. We don't have time to read it tonight, but you should, you should read that. But it starts, it starts, the drawing near process starts with getting rid of the sin in our life. Now we come to God, we draw near to God, and he helps us to get rid of that. But I'm talking about the sin that we don't want to get rid of. We know it's there. We know it's a barrier between us and God. It can't be there. It's got to go. If we want to be close to God, don't even, don't even try and draw near to God. Don't pray extra hard next week because you've done something wrong this week. It's not going to cut it unless you're confessing your sins to God and asking for his forgiveness. Sin will separate us. We cannot draw near unless our hearts are clean before God. We need that faith. Our text talked about us coming and drawing near in full assurance of faith. Do you believe tonight that God wants to have a relationship with you? He does. What does John 3.16 say? It says that he wants every single one of us to be saved. And not only every single one of us, but every single one of every person in the whole wide world throughout all ages. God's compassion is that big. We need to have faith. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must have faith if we want to draw near to God, because without faith it is impossible to please God. How is your faith? Sometimes mine feels weak. Maybe those are the times when I feel like I'm not close to God. Take what God has said. Take these promises by faith. Claim them and draw near to God. It's important how you draw near or how you attempt to draw near. The next one, the third one, is draw near with your heart, not your mouth. Draw near to God with your heart, not with your mouth. And Jesus talks about this. This is uh, He was talking to the hypocrites here again. And in Matthew 15, 8, he says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And was he impressed with that? No. He says, They're drawing near to me with their mouth. And they honor me with their lips. You know the rest. It says, But their heart is what? Far from me. Their heart is far from me. You see, if we draw near with our mouth, and I have a great testimony, and I say the right things, does that mean I'm close to God? 
Well, no, it does not mean I'm close to God. It means that I'm saying I'm close to God, that's all. But you see, when I draw close, draw near with my heart, that's different. That's what God cares about. He doesn't really care what you say about how, what your relationship is with him. He cares about what's in your heart. Let me talk about that in more in another message. Draw near with your heart and not with your mouth. We need to have hearts that are sprinkled from an evil conscience. Maybe that would have been better with the first, the first point. We need to have hearts that are sprinkled from an evil conscience. So draw near with your heart and not with your mouth. It was Jesus' word to the hypocrites, and that is his words to the Mount Hermon congregation today, tonight, and to the Allegheny Valley congregation. Number four, call upon the Lord. That is how we draw near. We call upon the Lord. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon Him. There again, I think that's a promise we can take. If we are calling out to God, He will come near. He is nigh unto them that call upon Him. To all that call upon Him in truth. There's that truth factor again. We can't, we got to be genuine. You know, sometimes when we don't feel close to God, it's because we know there's something that ain't quite right and we haven't been willing yet to take care of it. We need to draw near with a true heart. We saw that in our text. Verse 22. We need to be genuine. Don't just call on God when there's when you're in trouble and there's no way out. God's not a spare tire. He doesn't want to be a spare tire. Call on Him daily, many times throughout the day. That's the beauty of having, of living in the New Covenant. We don't have to go to the priest and have Him intercede to God for us. We can call out to God while we're working, while we're sitting in church. Wonderful privilege. Well, the fifth one is draw near by learning to know God better. And Brother Vernon kind of touched on this a little bit in his devotional. How would we get to learn to know God? How do you get to learn to know new people? So you have to learn to know who I am. I have to learn to know who you are. How do I get to learn to know you? By standing up here looking at you? Do I, do I get to learn to know you that way? Well, not really. So, so there's got to be some interaction. There's got to be some uh, conversations. There's, I, I got to find out what makes you tick. You need to know what makes me tick. Or there's, there's, no, there's nothing for us to connect on. So how do we draw near to God? Do you remember what he was talking about? He was talking about God's word, right? What is God's word? Is there anything closer to God than God's word? He read that or quoted that verse, First John or John 1, 1. What did it say? It said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If we want to get to learn to know God, here is a great place to start right here. That's a great way to get close to God. Our interest, I think, in the Bible and the time that we're willing to take in Bible reading and prayer is probably a good indication of how much we value how close we are to God. If you have a special friend that comes into your hometown from far away and you haven't seen for many years, what do you do? You wave at him as you're driving by on the highway 
I said, that was great. Connected with them again. Or do you have a little five-minute chat with them? Is that how you draw close and reconnect with them? No. You invite them into your home. And you spend some time, you sit down, you look them in the face, and you say, How's it, how are you doing? What's been happening? Catch me up on your life. But then when it comes to God, we say, well, we're busy this morning. Maybe we don't even have time for devotions. Or maybe it's five minutes or ten. I don't know. Maybe we can take a lesson from how we relate to other people. I think that's how God wants us to relate to Him. He wants us to take time. Relationships take time. Might be something else we talk about later as well. But our interest in the Bible, I think, is a good indicator of how near we are to God. James 4.8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. No sin. We already said, sin separates from God. Leviticus 27, 20 verse 7 says, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. That's a command. If you want to be close to me, you've got to be holy. Well, the last one, we need to humble ourselves and seek God. God's just not interested in receiving us in our pride. He just doesn't work. Remember he said that that's one of the things, that's one of the seven things that he just takes. It seems like he takes special issue with that. Because here we are, undeserving of everything we have. We can do nothing on our own. And then we have the audacity to be proud. When even the very breath that we breathe is given to us by God. And I think he just takes special offense at these poor little human mortals that somehow think they've got something going on. Well, a scripture verse to go with that thought is Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart. How broken is your heart? If God seems far away, see how broken your heart is. That's how we get close to God. The, the heart that is not broken prevents us from drawing near to God. So as we reflect on the differences, the comparisons there between the Old and the New Testament, if we'd have been in the Old Testament, we would have been just as paranoid at Mount Sinai as the, as the rest of the Jews. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we would have reacted very similarly. And now we have this beautiful way of approaching God we're invited to boldly come near to God. Do you think that the privilege that we have in the new covenant has the potential to in any way skew our perspective of God? Or who God really is? I, I think it can. I think we can just approach this Casually, haphazardly, while we're in the New Testament, God said I'm supposed to come boldly, and I'm going to do that. Just casual. No, God is the same God today that ascended or descended on Mount Sinai. He's just as terrible. He's just as powerful. He's just as holy. He's just as everything he was then. 
But sometimes I think we tend to slip into this thought track that somehow God is not as much to be feared as he was back then. We fear him just as much, just in a different way. I'm not sure right how to say that. But we need to be, we still need to be like Isaiah as we, as we see God and as we approach God, we need to do that in reverence. Reverential fear. We can't bring God down to our level. We can't put him in our little box and say, under the new covenant, he's just, well, he's not the same. We're, we're on the same level. We're not. God has not lost his holiness. And today, I think there's a lot of emphasis on drawing near to this casual God, and that's really all that we need to do. Just draw near. Repeat a sinner's prayer and draw near, and that's all we need to do. There's no discipleship. There's, there, there, we don't need to live a life of discipleship. We don't need to change anything in our life. We just, we just say the words, and we're good. Even though we have been blessed and privileged to live under this new covenant, I challenge you to maintain a proper fear and view of God because our God is still a consuming fire. We live in a day of grace today, but someday we will meet the same God that descended onto Mount Sinai. And if we are not ready to meet him, he will be just as terrible then and even more terrible than he was on Mount Sinai. Let us draw near to God. Let's uh, have a, you said to have a song afterwards? Okay, let's, let's have a song.